0: Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.
1: So we're going to just move to our Bible reading now. Um, So we're going to be reading from um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 26 to 40. So I'll be reading from the NIV. If you've got a, um, if you're using a Bible at the back, it'll be from page 798. So... Uh, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak one, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should be quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in return, in in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a god of disorder but of peace, as in all the pe- all the congregations of lo- lo- of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches; they are not allowed to speak but must be in submission, as the law law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you, or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is in the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way.
0: Thanks very much, Liam. I think I'm on. Hey, there we go. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you Uh, on a long weekend of all things, and you're here at church. It's a good decision you've made uh, to gather together um, as God's people. And if you're here for the first time, I see a few new faces out there. Welcome to City Light Church, North Adelaide. I'm Simon, uh, Simon Jackson, Lead Pastor, one of the Elders here, serving at City Light Church, North Adelaide. If you were tempted, as Liam sort of wrapped up that reading to close your Bible, or I don't know, flick to Facebook or whatever it is on your phone. Go back to that passage, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as we work through those verses this morning in our series, Loving Church. Um, if you are a regular here, you'll know that we're working our way through the sort of the last chapters of the letter of 1 Corinthians. Last year we worked sort of through chapters 1 through to 10, and we sort of pressed pause, uh, went through Christmas and Easter and things like that, and we've recommenced our exploration, and we're going to keep going through this letter until the 11th of July. Um, And uh, if you've been tracking with us for a while, um, just really briefly, uh, the letter that we're looking at, which is in the New Testament, which is in our Bibles, uh, was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Jesus followers, disciples of Jesus, who were living in the first century in a city called Corinth. Uh, Corinth was, it's in Greece, Uh, it was one of the largest cities of the Roman sort of empire of the day, it was a really cosmopolitan place, you know, so if you wanted to kind of, you know, do some trading, do some business and things like that, you'd go to Corinth. It was a real trading centre, a port city, lots of activity. If you're a thinker, if you had lots of good ideas and you wanted to tell the world about your good ideas, you'd rock up at Corinth and you'd share them sort of in the marketplace. It was a real place of business and thought and knowledge and ideas it was also a place where people thought they were really spiritual um, you know so if you're a really spiritual person you'd kind of hang out at Corinth and uh, lots of the men and women and kids at Corinth who'd grown up in a culture of ideas and idolatry and pagan worship some of them had come to know Jesus and their lives had been turned upside down And really this is the letter, these are the people Paul is writing to. The letter we have, 1 Corinthians, is a letter that Paul's um, written in response to some issues that were raised by members of the church. Um, And so Paul is responding to various concerns, issues, problems that were raised in Corinth. And we've worked our way through those. And the reality is that the people at Corinth, the church, the men and women like you and me, flesh and blood people, were being more and more shaped by the world around them rather than the good news or the cross of Jesus Christ. So they'd grabbed hold of the cross, forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus. But just over time and as they worked out what it meant, they were being a little bit more shaped and moulded by the world rather than by the good news of Jesus Christ, Jesus' death and resurrection and return. And so Paul had been addressing issues in this letter way back in chapters 1 through 4 about their, their sort of desire to rather cling to Jesus. They were kind of clinging to human leaders, Apollos and Peter and Paul and things like that. Chapters 5, 6 and 7, you know, these new Christians were kind of working out, what am I going to do? What do I do with my body? Does it matter what I do with my body and who I unite my body with? And Paul said, yeah, it actually does. And so we address some of those things there. Chapters 8 and 9, where are we up to? 8 and 9 and 10, the the Corinthians were tempted to sort of go, we've got all these rights and I'm going to use them for myself. I don't care about anyone else. And so Paul challenged them on their use of their rights. Chapter 11, which we kind of kicked into, Paul really then talks about how there was a danger in the church at Corinth that some people were kind of well shunning weaker people or, or like you know at the end of chapter 11 Paul's concern in that chapter is that there's elite there's a superior so-called wealthy elite people at Corinth were looking down on the poorer members of the church and that was causing unhelpful division and Paul challenged them on that and then we got to chapter 12 uh, where Paul speaks about the church as a body um, with all these different members right an arm and a eyelashes and feet and toes and all that sort of stuff. And Paul says the, the church, he pictures the church like us as a body with all different parts and we all need each other. And Paul said each person in the church has been given a gift and we are to use that gift, not to be jealous or envious of other people's gifts, but to use those gifts, what for? For the building up of the body, the strengthening of the body. And he said in chapter, that was chapter 12, everyone's got a gift or a bunch of gifts. How are you using those gifts? Are you using them for building up other people or building up yourself. Chapter 13, we remember that Paul said, you know, you can have the most incredible gifts on the planet, move mountains, speak in languages no one's ever heard of before. But if you don't have love, well, they're kind of nothing. And then as we got to chapter 14 last week, we see that Paul compares these two gifts, prophecy and speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues, unintelligible sort of ecstatic languages, prophecy, intelligible words. And Paul said, if you're going to choose one of those two, choose prophecy. Do prophecy because it builds up people in the church and it builds people into the church. That's what he said. And you're going, yeah, that makes all sense. I remember everything, Jacko, from this whole series. There you go. That's the potted history of 1 Corinthians, and now we come to the last little section um, of chapter 14 today. Before I pray, before we get into the word, I'm gonna get you to turn to the person next to you. Uh, Because this this section's all been about gifts, the gifts that God has given us for the upbuilding of the church, I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to share with them, encourage other person, and share what are the gifts you believe God has given you if you're a christian here today god has given you gifts what do you believe the gifts are that god has given you share that with the person next to you um we've all got gifts share what you believe god has gifted you with then we'll pray and we'll get stuck into the word go for it i'll give you a a minute or so go for it all right folks good to good to hear the i don't know exchanging of gifts i don't know if we can call that this morning um One of the questions we'll kind of get to at the end of my message today is, you know, know, sort of are you eagerly using the gifts that God has given you? Um, And so just good to have those in the back of our mind as we think about gifts, using our gifts that God has given us today for the building up of the church. Uh, Let me pray as we open up God's word today. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God and, and Heavenly Father, we just, we praise you and thank you for your kindness to us. Uh, Father, your kindness to us in so many ways. Uh, Father, we thank you for, for the gift of holidays. Uh, Father, we reckon that the culture into which um, much of the Bible is spoken was a culture where holidays were few and far between, or holidays were actually things that were only really available to the elite, the super rich in community and society. And so we thank you for the rhythm of rest that you've weaved into your world and into our lives so we just thank you for the regular holidays that we get the weekend uh, for those of us who do get one but also father we thank you for this extended break as we get to for many of us just rest and refresh uh, recuperate and father we thank you as well for the freedom we have um, each Sunday to gather as your people in this place and father we pray now um, we thank you for the kindness of your grace to us in the person and work of your son, Jesus. We pray, Father, that as we look at your word now, Father, we pray that we would see Jesus. We pray that we would hear Jesus. We pray that we would love Jesus. And Father, as we are captured by you, the God who gives good things, we pray that we would use the good things you've given us for the good of this church, for the building up of others, And for the spread of your gospel throughout the world and we give our time to you now work in us by your spirit in jesus name amen i've never forgotten um the conversation i had with a missionary who told me years back that he'd been at a church service in southeast asia uh, where two preachers tried to make it into the pulpit at the same time Um, imagine that moment, right? Um, These two preachers kind of were were moving towards the pulpit. Uh, It was one of those old-fashioned pulpits where they had lots of steps going up to it, you know, and so they got to the bottom, they sort of arrived at the bottom of the staircase together um, and they had this big, verb. this is in front of the church, right? This big verbal stoush and they started punching each other and I'm assuming it was the guy that wasn't lying on the ground that finally walked up the stairs and got into the pulpit uh, to preach the word, right? And the missionary friend told me that on that particular day he preached a powerful gospel message and on that day several people gave their lives to Jesus for the first time and I'm sitting there going I don't know what to make of that story yeah I couldn't understand why God had done that like such craziness on the part of the preachers and yet God had chosen to save some people through the message perhaps I was a younger Christian, didn't really fully grasp the kindness and the grace of God and how he uses all things for his glory. One thing I realized as I was chatting to this missionary friend was that there had been in that church in Southeast Asia, there was life in that church, right? There was life in the church and yet just because there was life in the church didn't mean everything was kind of positive and going particularly well. There are downsides, right, to some aspects of life, and as I've been reading the, the Paul's letter to the, the Corinthians, I realised it's probably the kind of thing you'd expect to be happening now and then at downtown church in Corinth. A few kind of fisticuffs, maybe. Um, stuff like that probably happened at church Corinth. There was definitely life, right, in the church at Corinth. There was life in the church at Corinth. People had come to know Jesus, the Spirit was at work, and yet it wasn't all positive. There were downsides to their life as well. And so Paul has been offering some correctives all the way through. Now, if all you've known uh, since you came to know Jesus Christ is um, life at this mostly ordered City Light Church, North Adelaide place, well, this morning is a bit of a reality check for us, I think. So how do you sort out, right? How do you sort out a church that's gone wild, which is kind of the Corinthian church? That's really what we're we're coming to as we reach chapter 14 and verse 26 this morning. The last little section in this little section, we've been working through 12, 13, 14, chapters 12, 13, 14. If you have the word open in front of you, chapter 14 and verse 26, Paul opens this last little section really with a summary. Um, He says, "'What shall we say, brothers and sisters?' How do we sum it all up, what I've been saying to date? You know, you can begin the chapter as Paul does, chapter 1 verse of chapter 14, pursue love, eagerly desire the, the spiritual gifts. But what does eagerly desiring the spiritual gifts actually look like in practice? Like, what does it look like on the street? Well, you can see, verse 26 continues. When you come together... So Paul is saying, when you come together, right, so he's imagining, he's talking about the Corinthians coming together for their public meetings, right? This is not him saying, okay, you know, Corinthians, when you are on your own at home, doing your private devotions, your prayer and your Bible reading, this is how to handle things then. This is Paul saying, the city light Corinth, this is what you're kind of meant to do when you meet together on like a Sunday, like what we're doing now. So He says, verse 26, "When you come together, each of you, or everyone, has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation." Right I love that, isn't it? He says, "Everyone. Everyone's got a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, or, or a tongue or an interpretation. If we were to take this literally right, they would either have a lot fewer people at city like Corinth, or the gatherings would kind of just go forever because everyone's got something to share, or everyone chose the same Chris Tomlin hymn to sing on the day, right? So we just sing one hymn because everyone brought the same one. Probably unlikely. But the clear message is this, isn't it, from the opening part, people are involved. Members of City like Corinth are contributing. They're bringing something to the gathering. And then see how he finishes off verse 26. Everything, all of this, must be done so that the church may be built up edified built up like a wall that's like an you know, like an edifice a wall a big sort of wall built up so that's what love is always seeking to do strengthen others it's not enough simply just to kind of contribute or, or use a gift I need to contribute we need to contribute my gift our gifts in a way that strengthens others builds people up So, this section, if you like, is Love's Lessons for City Light Corinth. All right? Love's Lessons for City Light Corinth. That's that's Corinth on a bad day, I reckon, where the wind blew. And no, there Love's Lessons for City Light Corinth. It's part of God's word by the way doesn't function um, like a blueprint for a church service right so this is what you must do when you gather together and these are the elements of a church service Um, it's not intended to be an exhaustive checklist of do's and don'ts for a church gathering it's a corrective it's him saying this is what you are doing and this is perhaps where you're going wrong so it's a corrective So we're not starting with a blank sheet here and Paul mapping out what you should and should not do when you come together as a church. He said, this is what you are doing. This is perhaps what needs to change. That's what the agenda of this chapter is. And across the agenda of this chapter is Paul applying the lessons of the way of love to how they meet together. And this lesson holds true for any church, any time, anywhere. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. So Paul calls for order in the midst of chaos. The kind of order that will enable that great purpose and project to actually take place, the strengthening of church. In fact, he calls for silence in order to bring about this kind of order in the midst of chaos. He calls for silence across several groups at City Light Corinth. He firstly applies love's lessons. For speakers of tongues there you go loves lessons for speakers of tongues this is verse 27 to 28 um so have a look at verse 27 if anyone speaks in a tongue two or at the most three this seems kind of generous right if you were here last week paul basically said look don't speak in tongues when you gather together do it at home that's really what he said so this is kind of generous giving what he said in this like the section we looked at last week Verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at most three should speak one at a time. It really does seem like city like Corinth, first century, everyone's just kind of, I don't know, babbling away all at the same time when they gather together. Um, And he says, and someone must interpret. We need to be able to understand if we are all gonna join in. It doesn't matter how gifted I might be, my speaking in tongues won't edify other people, won't strengthen, encourage, comfort any of you if you can't understand what I'm saying. Verse 28 If there is no interpreter, right? you don't just say, right? You don't just turn up to church and say, Well, guess what? I've got a gift and I'm just, just going to use it because I've got the gift. I mean, for example, there are people in this church, right, who I know can teach the Bible really well, right? who we've had up the front here hoping the bible teaching us preaching and things in the past there are people in this church who can do that i'm kind of thankful that there's people even i'm looking at right now who are going i'm not going to exercise that gift right now i'm going to let you do it today jacko otherwise there might be a punch-up at the front right like as we clamber over this passage people are just you know i've got a gift sometimes the loving thing to do is not to use that gift for the sake of building up the church so people can learn and grow and be encouraged Paul goes on, verse 28, no, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Use the gift at home in private devotion. When we're together, love means serving others, and speakers of tongues are to be no exception to that principle. There you go, there's there's love's lesson for speakers In tongues, secondly, love's lesson for prophets, verses 29 to 33, or the first half of 33. Um, You see, for all the high value that Paul put on prophecy last week, that's little p prophecy, not big p kind of prophecy of the Old Testament, he's well aware, right, that prophets in the local church can just as easily abuse their gift as those who speak in tongues. So let's see how he begins in verse 29. Two or three prophets should speak then he goes on in verse 30 and if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down the first speaker should stop so we sort of seem to have exactly the same prof- problem going on with prophets as we do with the tongue speakers down at City Light Corinth, right? So I don't know, you know, like I start up with my prophecy, I stand up and I start prophesying and I hardly get going and Phil over there, he stands up and he starts going, he's like, I've got a, I've got a word of revelation. So he's going, I'm prophesying, he's revelating, I don't know, whatever he's doing, I don't stop, Phil doesn't wait. So both of us are going at the same time and you're going like, who am I supposed to be listening to today? I mean, I just came here for a coffee and it's now getting out of control. And then just as you're thinking that, I don't know, like Rosalind stands up, Rosalind starts and she's going, you know, prophesying away. And then bam, Cindy, Cindy decides to fire up with a prophecy and bam, all you know, suddenly we've got quadraphonic sound at the Estonian centre. Something like that seems to be going on at Corinth and the Apostle Paul says, stop it, just stop Verse 31, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. I don't know. I think handling the church at Corinth would be a bit like me trying to handle the under eight prospects soccer team on Wednesdays for training and on Saturdays at they are they're hard work. If there is order, Paul says, then everyone can hear, everyone can learn. Verse 32. The spirit of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. Now there may be, may well have been in Corinth in AD 55 or thereabouts as the church got together, there may have been something more spontaneous going on when we come to prophecy uh, than what I've kind of prepared here with my 7,000 pieces of paper that I would call like a prepared in advance sermon, right? Something more spontaneous might have been going on at Corinth, but it isn't some kind of ecstatic utterance, right? So it's so, That so, you know, I get this ecstatic utterance coming that I believe is from the Spirit, and I've, I've just got to. I'm, I'm so entranced by it that I've got to. I've got to speak out the words. I can't actually stop because to stop them would be quen, kind of quenching the Spirit. I don't think we're talking about that. That may be what was true in pagan worship of the day, but it doesn't reflect the God of the Bible, the true and living God. For verse thirty-three. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. And prophets can keep quiet when it will help the church learn. When we are together, love is looking to serve others, and gifted prophets are no exception to that rule. There's something else about prophecy, right, that's worth noticing, and it's, it's this. It should be evaluated should be weighed. I don't know if you noticed that at the end of verse 29, two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. You see, Paul doesn't assume, right, that because something has the label prophecy, it's automatically true and valuable. Um, the others actually if you look at that verse 29 the others in verse 29 could be other prophets the others could be other elders in the church I think it's most likely like the rest of the church body kind of evaluating whether this prophecy is valuable true right helpful all that sort of stuff I know some churches right who encourage prophecies today in their church meetings with little or no scope for weighing carefully what is said There are some churches right who who have in their church people who they would say this is a prophet I don't I'm not please don't hear me bagging other churches but other churches do have people who are like labeled this is a we have a prophet in this church or two or three prophets and whatever they says is like the word from the Lord and it has to be done without any weighing and people in those churches those prophets have a huge amount of power Um, often in those churches like someone like me little old you know lead pastor gets up and he preaches a pre-prepared sermon and everyone's like that was nice thanks jacko sit down then the prophet stands up it's like this is what i think's going on right and that's where people get excited that's where things happen and that can be sometimes good sometimes really dangerous the power given to those people can be really really full-on and dangerous Um, other churches i know limit spontaneity they have Elders evaluate the, someone's sort of prophetic word before the gathering starts, and then they determine whether that will be put forward to the church in the public gathering. Um, there's another church I know where you have to bring that prophecy to an elder during the actual gathering itself, and that's weighed in the ton of the time and then shared publicly if that's believed to be of helpful. But I think it's city like Corinth right. It was a more of a public testing of a prophecy or a word, and you can't ultimately avoid that anyway, right? Prophecy in Corinth, though, was not meant to lead to knee-jerk obedience. As I've thought about that, right, and sought to apply it to things that I hear today, sometimes here and sometimes elsewhere, I think one little rule of thumb that's helpful, right, when, when someone gets up to speak and they start what they're about to say by saying, God is saying to us, or the Lord has told me, which sometimes you hear, I often kind of replace that. So rather than going, you know, God has spoken to me or the Lord is speaking to us, I sometimes replace that with the speaker thinks. Does that make sense? The speaker thinks this. Not because the Lord can't be saying anything through us, right? But it reminds me that we need to weigh it and test it. To not be manipulated by a phrase into making a foolish decision or something like that. I mean, it's very hard it's very hard. if someone gets up and says god is saying to city light church x it's hard to resist sometimes isn't it it's good to check i think it's easier to evaluate if we kind of replace that with at least in your mind that's not like you jump up and say sorry that doesn't don't start like that in your mind you just go the speaker thinks and then we weigh it up well loves lessons for speakers of tongues loves lesson for profit here's the next group Love's lessons for women, verse 33b to 35. Women should remain silent in the churches. It is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. And I've got your attention now, don't I? And you'll also understand why there were no punch-ups on the way to the pulpit this morning, will not you? There seemed to be zero competition for preachers today. Um the rest of the elders and the trainees were very happy to leave this one to me Um, so the lead pastor you've got there you go now first thing i want to say here is this is not paul's definitive statement about women in ministry okay he has plenty more to say both in this letter and elsewhere about that and that's that's for another day okay in one, this is just one in a series of correctives to try and recover some sense of order in a church at Corinth that's gone pretty wild. Um, but because, because verses like this in this section of Scripture causes like all kinds of fear and angst and worry and static, particularly, or I think, in almost every Western congregation, we probably need to spend just a little longer here than Paul does in thinking it through. Um, I don't know, for some of us here today, maybe you're here, and you, you hear those words and you go, this, this is what I fear about Christianity and religion, patriarchal subjection, that's what I fear, suppressing of the feminine, the kind of fears that are actually reinforced by, by loose interpretations of church history that Dan Brown and his Da Vinci Code sort of put forward, But for others, right, real and painful experience for some of us of church life and experience. So I wanna acknowledge that. Um, I realized this week, just preparing on this passage, I used to work in the Anglican Church in Sydney and here in Adelaide, and um, rightly so, right across our country, right, there's been a a real heightened awareness of the prevalence and the horror and the dangers and the the, the terrible reality of domestic violence in our society. The church is not immune to that by the way Um, and the church that I used to be part of, the Anglican church, um, upon the the heightened awareness of domestic violence and emotional abuse and things like that, particularly um, in intimate partner relationships, the Anglican church in Sydney commissioned a report uh, into the the reality of domestic violence and the prevalence of it in the Anglican church. I read that report this week actually and you know the, the scariest thing of all that in that report amongst many things is that the rate of intimate partner violence in the Anglican church is actually higher than the general public. Um, That's pretty scary, right? And so I'm not saying this particular passage of Scripture, right, is the reason for that, but I just want to put that on the table. Like, I realise this is really, yeah, this is intense stuff. This is real stuff. So for some of us here right verses like this could lead to you know just bring to heart bring to life again real and painful experiences of church life. For others right the the, the meaning of this particular passage for them is is absolutely plain absolutely clear the only question is will we obey it will we sit under that scripture in practice or do we duck it and fudge it just pretend like it's not there. Well, I want to be really clear with you today. I don't think I've worked out every single detail of this particular passage, but I certainly don't want to duck this passage. I don't want to fudge it. Um, God's given us these words because he has something we need to hear. But face these verses, and we'll have to face our own instincts and prejudices, which which want them to say more or say less than what we discover they actually say. So with all that, can I encourage you just to kind of concentrate for the next few minutes pretty hard as we look at these words? I think it'll be good for us. You see, I don't want us to dismiss these words, I don't want us to, to trivialise these words as if they're simply something that was peculiar in particular to Corinth in the first century, that was their problem back then, not ours. Of course there were specific problems in Corinth, they've got issues coming out of their ears. That's why Paul writes about it, but there is a principle that applies across the board. If you see the second half of verse 33, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people, this isn't just a a cultural issue that we can ignore because it doesn't apply to us, but we mustn't be too quick to take it as quite the absolute at first appears in verse either. So verse 34, women should remain silent in the churches. hear that you go seems obvious enough taken just like that it does though kind of actually run contrary to the flow of the whole letter even the chapter that has this chapter chapter 14 which has women speaking in it if you turn back actually come back with me a couple of pages to um, 1 corinthians chapter 11 1 corinthians chapter 11 where it's actually really explicit Uh, look at me chapter 11 verse 3 watch what paul says Paul speaking here about um, yeah, relationships in the church he goes I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God he's speaking here of a, a definite order in relationships we haven't got time to explore this fully this morning um, you can go back and listen to my sermon on um, chapter 11 of Corinthians on our podcast if you want but here, the order that Paul paints here is not an, an order that implies inferiority, you know, that we're, we're bringing Jesus down or making Jesus less than God. Actually, what you'll find is stunning equality between husband and wife. You'll see that in chapter uh, 7, verse 4. That's for your notes later. But you'll find in chapter 11, there's this clear, beautiful interdependence between man and woman in chapter 11, that we're better together, we need one another. That's what you'll find. But see how he goes on in verse four. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers dishonours his head. Now, don't stress there about what you can't understand, but look what he's saying. His problem is not with men praying or prophesying. It's how they do it. It's their attitude. Remember, we thought back in chapter 11, it doesn't really matter what's on your head. It's actually more important what's in your head, your attitude, your attitude. And now he carries on in verse five, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Again, you see the problem is not women praying or prophesying, it's how she's praying and prophesying, the attitude. Now, what is explicit in chapter 11 is actually, sorry, what's explicit in chapter 11 is actually made implicit in chapter 14, right? In chapter 14, everyone's speaking, right? Everyone's speaking, Chapter 14, verse 23, everyone speaks in tongues. 24, everyone is prophesying. Chapter 26, everyone has a Chris Tomlin hymn or a word of instruction or a revelation. Everyone is speaking. It may be a generalization here, right? But there is no hint that all this talking is just restricted to one gender. It's like everyone's speaking, contributing. So that raises the question, right? How do we reconcile this, right? How do we reconcile everyone speaking men and women with the silence of verse 34 in chapter 14 well let me offer a few pointers then I'll give you one Australian commentator's solution by the way I'm not just hiding behind his solution by the way but I think it's really helpful a few pointers then uh, this commentator it seems to me that the the healthy The good way of doing what's kind of messed up in verse 34 is what he's describing in the next verse verse 35 he says if they want to inquire about something they should ask their own husbands at home so it seems to have more here with learning rather than kind of on the ground ministry with weighing of prophecy rather than the prophesying it means that whatever the silence of verse 34 it doesn't mean that you know that the man kind of turns to his wife and says oh darling don't bother yourself with that you know you don't need to know darling you know as if it's some stupid patronizing husband saying you know oh darling you don't need to learn no paul's like you need to learn i want you to learn i want men and women to learn together the appropriate way again the flow of the incidents and the correctives here with the tongue speakers and the prophets speaking suggest a pattern of confusing noise and babbling voices and no one's really getting anything out of anything and the detail of verse 34 suggests that the the attitudes of the women are involved too he says they are not allowed to speak but must be in submission as the law says first thing to say there is i can't find any law in the old testament that forbids a woman to speak right but it is easier to find laws within particularly the book of genesis genesis chapter three sixteen, about sort of submission and, and roles of relationships the biblical worldview though right Has everything to do with respect and being honoured. It has nothing to do with being doormats and being dominated. So, learning noisy babble and disrespect leads to this call for silence from Paul. Here's here's Paul Barnett, right? Paul Barnett, he was a bishop in in Sydney within the Anglican Church. He's also a historian. And he, in his commentary, has put together what he believes is what's really going on in Corinth, right? This is his kind of reconstruction. Um, He'll write, he writes this, right? My suggested reconstruction of the situation that Paul sought to correct goes like, this um so by the way you need to know a little bit of background here paul um barnett when he writes this um it was likely that in the church at corinth in ad 55 that um men and women would be separated in the gathering of god's people so women would be sitting on one side men would be sitting on the other side um and there are some churches today that still kind of maintain that kind of separation um clearly we don't um, no we're not going to do that either um It was a cultural thing of the day. So that's the back of your mind, right? Listen to this. Paul Barnett says, a prophet has, this is his picturing what's going on. A prophet has spoken and a time of silence should have ensued before the next prophet rose to speak. Instead, various women seated together were breaking the silence by calling out questions to the prophet. Furthermore, it seems likely that the wives in question were addressing the questions to husbands who were prophets. Thus, their actions suffered from two faults. On the one hand, it was disruptive of congregational silence following the prophetic word, but on the other, it failed to express wifely submission to her husband in public. This explains Paul's let them be in submission and it's shameful for a wife to speak in church pause there for a second i don't know i was trying to imagine what some of the things that might have been yelled out you know across the room um you know i don't know like a prophet speaks and then a woman yells out how on earth could you come up with that you know i don't know something like that um you could see how this could be reinforced um barnett continues by this reconstruction the integrity of both texts speaking in chapter 11 and silence in chapter 14 is preserved The issue in both texts was differing aspects of the one problem current in Corinth, namely the submission of wives to husbands in the public life of the church. In the first, a woman may prophesy, but she may not do so as some were doing without the sign of her husband's authority on her head. In the second, she must not subvert her husband's role by unseemly public questioning of his prophetic utterances as some were doing." He concludes, while while the submission of wives to their husbands is uncongenial to many in modern Western societies, it's a clear teaching of the apostles. That's a long quote, yeah? End of the day, when we're together, love is looking to serve others. And women, even full of newfound freedom and equality in Christ women, and no exception to the rule. No doubt you know, that might fuel a bit of conversation today over community lunch. You know, If you had nothing else to say you'd go, what on earth was that? Um, maybe it's going to fuel some discussion at DG this week. Um, I want us to encourage us as, as, as followers of Jesus to, to, to hold on to the word of God and our sort of human instincts as we kind of wrestle with these things. What I'm gonna do during the week as well is post up on Slack. As Liam said, if you're not on Slack, yeah, get on it, um, but you can talk to me. I'm gonna post up there a great article by the late great John Stott, who wrote a book, um, Issues Facing Christians Today, Um, He has 25 pages in that book, which is um, quite spectacular. You can appreciate why I just wouldn't read out 25 pages to you this morning. But um, there you go. So love's lessons for speakers in tongues, for prophets, and for women. Finally, love's lesson for the spiritually proud, uh, verse 36 to 38. Now, these verses don't seem to be aimed at a particular group, right? But but serve as a warning to everyone at City like Corinth. Uh, And Paul, I assume, is thinking back over the whole of this section, right? Chapters 12, 13, 14, about gifts and attitudes within the church family. And Paul ends this section by giving a warning about the dangers of ignoring him, the apostle. So verse 36, did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? There was a tendency around Corinth, right? The believers at Corinth, to think we are the most spiritual Christians on the planet. Like we have reached the pinnacle. Everyone else, kind of a little bit less so. Even the apostle, they would probably say, we're more spiritual than you, Paul. Huh, there you go. If so, Paul says, did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only people the word of the gospel has reached? Of course not. But some of the people at city like Corinth were so full of themselves that they acted as if that was true. The word of God did originate with us. We are the only people who've really fully enlightened. Uh, They could think, they could live and think at odds with the Christians, other Christians all around the Mediterranean, and they'd think as if they were the only ones who really knew how to live the Christian life, the only ones who really knew how to exercise spiritual gifts, they were the only truly spiritual ones. And Paul says to them as he says to us, beware the pride that puts us at odds with the church. Greater than that, be sure your pride doesn't put you at odds with the word of God. Verse 37, if anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. It's a great claim for apostolic authority. It's a wonderful claim for New Testament authority. Brothers and sisters, don't let someone allow their spiritual gifting or their so-called spiritual status be that a prophet or a lead pastor, put them above the Bible. Or tell you that the Lord has a word for you if that word contradicts the word of Jesus and the apostles. But verse 38, but if anyone ignores this, the apostles' word, well, they themselves will be ignored. And dear sisters and brothers here at City Light, Christian history is littered with obscure footnotes, right, of people who've set out often with great fanfare and in the name of being spiritual but have ignored the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. When we're together, love is looking to serve others and however spiritual you are, you are no exception. So there you go. Love's lessons for city light Corinth, for speakers in tongues, for prophets, for women, and for the spiritually proud. Verse 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, therefore, having said chapter 12, having said chapter 13, having said chapter 14, what conclusions do we draw? And in particular, I want to say, what conclusions do we draw as city light church north adelaide so we're moving a whole bunch forward from 55 ad to 2021 you see if the particulars of this chapter are shaped by corinth and all that was kind of broken and messed up there the principles are surely for every church right so therefore my brothers and sisters be eager to prophesy to edify to build up to strengthen encourage and to comfort these are the gifts that paul urges the Corinthians urges us to be eager for. And if prophecy is singled out in chapter 14, it also stands for a whole range of gifts that do that same work of edifying, strengthening, encouraging, and comforting. You have a look at verse 6, 12, 26. He makes the point every time. And you know, actually, later on in history, Paul will write to a young pastor looking after a church in Ephesus, Timothy, And in that letter that he writes to Timothy, he doesn't mention prophesying at all. Do you know what he says to Timothy? He says to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to the teaching and to the preaching. Preach the word, the word of the gospels, the word of the apostles for the building, the strengthening, the comforting, the encouraging of the church. But to the Corinthians, right, he's not just writing to a lead pastor. So at the very least, right, brothers and sisters in Christ here at North, this must be a reminder to us to be in the work of building up, encouraging, strengthening, and encouraging one another when we come together. Whether it's here on a Sunday, whether it's over lunch at community lunch, whether it's in our DGs, whether it's one-to-one over a coffee at a hipster coffee joint down the road. I don't know. That's the game we're in, the building up game. So brothers and sisters, are you eager to build up? Are you eager to build others up? Perhaps the gift that you identified right at the beginning when you were sort of babbling to each other, no, you know what I mean, like when you are talking to each other, that that gift or the gifts that you believe God has given you, are you employing those gifts for the building up of the people here at North Adelaide? Together when we're here on Sunday, in our DGs, one-to-one, at prayer meetings, wherever it might be, or do you just come to see what you can get out of church brothers and sisters be eager to prophesy he continues do not forbid speaking in tongues i had a um i had an intriguing conversation with a charismatic pastor in the past week um if you know me right you you know that i'm a pretty conservative guy like theologically i'm pretty conservative um And uh, the pastor that I met with was a charismatic. I actually, I've embraced someone else had this idea that I I describe myself as a charismatic with a seatbelt on. Oh, there you go. Um, In in that, like, I I, I don't want to be a guy that's thought of as, like, you know, like, you know, all the gifts that God gave to the early church, you know, they're finished, no longer at work. I actually believe that God is still at work with through the gifts, growing His church, building us up, etc., extending the gospel. Like I, I don't, some people say, you know, like they use words like cessationist, you know, that all those gifts have come to an end. I, I don't know. I'm a work in progress, right? But I I believe I'm a charismatic with a seatbelt on. In that I, I want th- I, I believe God is still at work by His Spirit through the gifts that He's given His church. But my seatbelt is the Bible, right? Like the Bible restrains or constrains how far I can kind of push those things, right? So that's, I'm a, your pastors a charismatic with a seatbelt on. There you go. Anyway, I met up with, that's, that's, that's digression, and Adele would go, stop talking. Anyway, um, I met up with this charismatic pastor during the week, and uh, we were talking about like, you know, tongue speaking in the gatherings um, of God's people, um, the charismatic pastor I met with there's regularly tongue speaking in his Sunday gatherings um, he asked me so Jacko um, Sunday morning picture it uh, someone from the flock at City Light Church in North Adelaide jumps up and begins speaking in a tongue on a Sunday what are you gonna do and my knees start knocking no um you know another sip of my long black you know think of it I, for, I thought I did think for a moment I said well I think I'd let them finish um if there was an interpretation And if it wasn't the beginning of a big push for for everyone else to do it, I think it would be okay by me, actually. I then got to ask the charismatic pastor. I said, well, what if there was no tongue speaking in your church for the next six months? None. He said, well, I'd be devastated. I said, well, that's the difference between us. For you, speaking in tongues is indispensable for me speaking in tongues is dispensable it's a good gift but we can get by without it it's not forbidden but it's not for everyone and I said we have everything we need to know for our salvation and how to live a godly life following Jesus in the Bible we don't we don't actually need more we've got everything we need in the Bible for to know God to know what he's done in order to rescue us from our sins, and to know how to live a godly life as we wait for Jesus to return and take us home, brothers and sisters, you know, friend, if you're here today and, and you're you're sort of listening to this, going, what on earth is that guy up the front talking about? Tongues and prophecy and women and all I don't know. I don't. I apologize. Please, if nothing, if things I've upset at the front here don't make sense, please talk to me. But I do want you to know that if you're here today and you're yet to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything you need to know is here in the word of God. You know, we've got copies of this Bible up the back which are free. Please take one. We've got copies of Mark's gospel where you'll you'll read about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Take one, read it. There's books up the back, but I want you to know you don't need to wait for some prophetic utterance. You don't need to wait for an interpretation of a tongue. God has given everything we need for salvation and godliness in his word. Know that. But everything, verse 40, should be done in a fitting and orderly way. In conclusion, prophesy, prophesy. Speak in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And as we wrap up, you know, you say, well, lack of, lack of order probably isn't City Light Church North Adelaide's greatest problem. Um, you know, perhaps, the, perhaps, I don't know, perhaps the Apostle Paul, if he was writing to us, would say, hey, shake it up a little bit. I mean, I did ask someone during the week, not going to name them, you know, is that our problem? No, probably not. We're pretty chilled out. But he might say relax maybe a few other things you could do maybe i don't think chaos is our greatest danger here at cedar light church in north adelaide but i would i i would have a bet that paul if he wrote to us specifically would say to us he'd remind us why he calls for order because it's not just order for order's sake like paul's like like oh, i just like order so i'm going to give you order It's not order because, you know, look, any legitimate Christian gathering must have, you know, a particular order, you know, two songs, meet and greet, announcements, Bible reading, very long sermon, you know, and then sing and then we can go. Like, that's, order, we have order because it reflects the God we know, love and worship. We, 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 we honour, we, we live for, we listen to, we worship a God who has comp- a clear, important, and intelligible things to say and who wants us to hear them. It's because order helps our listening and our learning so we can actually hear God speak to us. That's why we have order. So I don't think Paul would say to us, you know, Straighten up your gathering. It's a bit chaotic, you know. Like, whew, I think I think this is actually this is what I think Paul would say to us. I think Paul would say, "Are you listening? Are you listening? Or are you just going with the flow? You know, do you come to a gathering on a Sunday morning expecting God to speak, or do you just turn up because well, that's just that's just what I do? Are we growing?" Are we being built up? You know, what are your expectations when you come together to meet together? What are the outcomes that we're looking for? You know, Paul began chapter 12, this whole section, right, by saying, you know, that to say Jesus is Lord is the mark of a truly spiritual person. To be able to say Jesus is Lord, he's my saviour, he's my king, he now determines the shape and the nature of my whole life now until I meet him and enjoy him forever. Paul's saying is that the reality for you? Like, are, is, that, is, is Jesus' is Lord just a slogan on the wall for you or is it something that's actually taking place in your life, that he is gradually taking over the lordship of every part of our life, our head, our heart, our body? Or is it just a routine slogan on the wall? You know, when you turned up this morning, you know, were you thinking, what's God got to say to us today? I think it's something we should be asking. How will he grow us this morning? You know, are we smugly confident as we look at the chaos in Corinth because we're listening and growing? Or is ours just a far more orderly deafness? Should we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you are a speaking God. And thank you that you you use us to strengthen, encourage and comfort one another. Please go on humbling us that we would be a listening, a growing and a servant-hearted people of yours. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church northadelaide.